Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. This is Lily, and today we are speaking with Dr. Jeremiah Sumter Jr., a devoted husband to his loving wife and a dedicated dad to his six beautiful daughters and a six-year-old granddaughter. Jeremiah understands that the secret to success starts with the family and stems from the home. He has a bachelor's in engineering from Pratt University, a master's in mathematics education from Columbia University Teachers College, and a master's in educational administration from Hofstra University, where he also earned a doctorate in educational leadership and policy studies. His leadership, teaching, and administrative experience over the past 23 years has groomed and cultivated him into the consummate professional he is today. Currently, Jeremiah is the interim principal of the Roosevelt Middle School in Nassau County. His passion for education and children has been the driving force behind his love for learning and his prolific grasp of pedagogy. Within his capacity as an educator, he has taught, tutored, and mentored children and adults for over 20 years. Dr. Sumter's support, guidance, leadership, and counsel are respected and cherished by colleagues, staff, and students. His four C's for success are communication, collaboration, consistency, and continuity. He believes that life is about learning, learning is about living, and living is about loving God, yourself, and others. Dr. Jeremiah Sumter, how are you? Doing well. Nice to see you, Lily. Great. We are so happy to have you on our podcast. And as you know, this podcast takes us on a journey to master leadership. And we want to do that today by asking you key questions. So, Jeremiah, are you ready to pour into our listeners? Yes. Yes, I am. And thank you for this opportunity. Uh, We're so excited. Now, can you tell us a bit about your path to leadership and what you're doing now? Currently, I am the interim principal of the Roosevelt Middle School. This is my second year in this position. And uh, prior to that, I was the assistant principal here for three years. But looking at my path to leadership, it actually begins a little further back in grade school, um, being a leader in those different departments and areas that I was a part of, different clubs, associations, track. And then it scaffolding to in my church, you know, at the age of 19, being a deacon. And then from there, I scaffolded into being a leader in my professional careers. My first career prior to education was engineering. Really? I went to uh, Pratt Institute for Electrical Engineering, and I graduated from there. And I started being a manager of sorts in the engineering department within New York Telephone, which was 9X at the time, which mm. is which I'm kind of dating myself. 
I recognize 9X. Yes, yes. <laughs> and so being a design engineer there, after I left 9X, I went to another engineering company called Teleport Communications Group, and I was a planning engineer there. We did a lot of planning and feeder routes for different cities across the nation dealing with fiber optics, because mm-hmm. at that time, feeder routes for fiber optics was up and coming. Mm-hmm. And so being a leader in those dynamics where I'm actually designing the plans and running the routes, and then I give my plans over to the technicians, and they actually take it to the field and implement it, and then, you you know, you come out and you inspect what you expect. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where my leadership developed on a professional level, but also on a personal level in terms of my home life, my family life, and also my church life. From there, I got to a place, or what I like to call my aha moment, and realized that engineering was good, but it was not who I was. And I got a lot out of it, I learned a lot, but I wasn't able to really connect the other parts of me that were more interpersonal, Mm -hmm. that really allowed me to connect and reach people and assist the other people the way that I felt I could, I should. Mm -hmm. And so in 1994, I actually left engineering and went into education that transition? That was very challenging because not only did my finances decrease tremendously, (laughs) (laughs) right? I also had to go back to school and I went back to Teachers College, Columbia University, get my master's in math education while working as a teacher. And when I finally graduated from TC, I happened to be the student speaker at my graduation because the president of Teachers College asked me to. Oh, nice. I, I was elated with that. From there, continuing my path as a teacher leader. And then from there, I went back to school again at Hofstra University to get my administrative degree. Mm-hmm. A year later, two years later, I went back to Hofstra to get my doctorate in well, education. congratulations, because I know that <laughs> yes, takes perseverance, yes. I hear. Oh, yes. It's, it's a very arduous process because writing for your dissertation is much different than writing for your master's or a paper and your bachelor's degree. Uh, it's more about being introspective about who you are and where you're looking to make the greatest impact in educational society. And you have to be very objective about really looking at the research and speaking to the research and what the research says about this topic and what you have been able to compile together analysis Mm -hmm. and really speak to research says and speak clearly, objectively to the research. So that's a different dynamic of writing that I had to get used to. But doing that has made me the better as a leader in terms of leading people and, and leading organizations. And so that has brought me to where I am now, you know, being Dr. Sumter, uh, principal of the middle school. Wonderful. And when I think about this, I see how this part of your life, you have six daughters, correct? Yes. <laughs> and yes, I know I that, that that really led you to becoming even more well-rounded as a leader. Yes, because having children actually gives you leverage and a balance in life to really understand the fullness. Not that if you don't have children, you can't get that balance, but having children forces you into that world of understanding what it is to raise a life and help them mold and identify who they are and accept who they are and move in that direction of their destiny and their purpose in life. So doing that while you're still 
developing your own life is a lot. And then to do that with more than one child is also a lot because I have to deal with each one of them differently. Are they all daughters? Yes, they're all girls. Okay. So that's another thing Uh, that really is helpful because I know that girls get their self-esteem from Mm. their dad. So you had a lot of practice um, in doing that (laughs) and then coming to the school and really pouring into the students here as well. Yes, it has definitely tempered me in terms of learning what it is to listen Mm. and be a good listener as well as a good hearer. I've been taught that there's a difference between listening and hearing. I can listen, and it can be listless like the wind, but if I'm hearing you, then I'm internalizing what you're saying, and I'm actually being thoughtful about it. So I've transitioned from being just a listener to a hearer of the words that come from people and learning how to not give a response because they just need a sounding board to giving a response and learning what type of response they need. Do they need something constructive? Do they need to be redirected? Do they need to be affirmed or confirmed in what they're sharing with me? This podcast, for me, it's helped me tremendously because, you know, we all grow together, right? We're growing in leadership, and so we're learning to master it. But one of the things that I continue to develop is listening, and I suppose I'm going to steal that from you. Okay, sure. Is hearing. And so as we do this, one of the practices that I'm developing is to listen to what's your leadership like. So you describe your leadership style. My leadership style is really one that's built around people. I'm very personable. Mm -hmm. I'm a leader that is a good listener, a good hearer. I'm a leader that is very open to hearing the voices of the voiceless. Mm, Tell me about that. Many times as a student in the school or as an adult in the school, whether you're a teacher, custodial worker, clerical, security guard, custodian, oftentimes you can be categorized as a person without a voice only because you don't feel that what you're going to say is going to have impact. You feel that what you're going to say is not going to be heard. You believe that what you're going to say is not going to make a difference if you say it anyhow. So I have the practice or the knack of helping those who may seem voiceless to help them understand they do have a voice and they do have something to say and I want to hear it. So you practice empowering others yes thank you very good way of putting it yes look at empowering those around me because my philosophy is that everybody has a gift everybody has an ability everybody has a talent so oftentimes through the problems and the life challenges sometimes those gifts talents and abilities get buried mm-hmm. and when they're buried by life problems by emotional restraints oftentimes they don't get a chance to develop and shine and be utilized that will make that person become really who they're supposed to be and fulfill their purpose and their destiny in life so I'm more about giving people an opportunity and chance to be who they can be and share what they have in order to make their lives better and also make all of us better and this speaks to me because it's important for me to have a voice especially in education. And it's important for me to have the platform to give others a voice. So, you know, I'm curious. I'm also a special ed teacher. So, you know, I have a lot of practice in looking and helping children to find their voice. So how do you identify someone who you would say is voiceless? When I look at people, I begin to discern who they are. I look into their eyes. Mm -hmm. I sense their rhythm, their voice, their personality, 
And after watching them for a while, I begin to discern their strengths and their weaknesses. We all have them. Some are more evident than others. When I see a strength that I believe someone has or a potential strength that someone has, that's where I begin to dig, to uncover, to clean off, to move away, mm -hmm. maybe covering up that potential. And then I begin to give them opportunities to do things, opportunities to share in what I'm working on, to hear what their input is, to hear how they are problem solving and deciphering. I begin to observe and discern and to look into who's with me, who's around me. You occur to me as a really good connector. You connect mm -hmm. well with people. Is that Thank right? Is, yeah, is, I believe so. Thank you. I, yeah. yeah, because to do that takes practice, right? Yes, it takes practice, but it also takes to have the mindset and the personality to do it. You know, I credit my parents for a lot of what I have, and all glory goes to God because mm -hmm. 30, 40 years ago, I really did not know who I was. It took time for me to come to a place of understanding, one, who I am, and then accepting who I am, because oftentimes we get a picture in our mind, whether it's from the media, the TV, the movies, the magazines, of who we want to be. Mm -hmm. We want to be this super person. But then when we realize we're not that alleged super person, but we're this person. Person super. Right, so that person <laughs> super. But now I have to accept that. I have to put to the side what I was proposing to be and now accept who I really am. So I have to identify who I am accept who I am, and then move in the direction that's going to allow me to prosper and grow. So I credit my parents. I, I thank God for allowing me to get to that point to identify, accept, and move in that direction. Because once I accept that I can start to really develop who I am mm -hmm. and begin to help other people accept and develop who they are. Right, and the wonderful thing is that we all keep growing. Yes. So 20 years from now, you'll be yeah. way different. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so Jeremiah, which quote or quotes about leadership speak to you and why? There are many quotes that are out there. I liked some of the ones by Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, the one that says, education is our passport to the future. Mm. There's also one that I try to recite regularly by Aristotle that says, educating the mind without educating the heart is not education at all. I love that. And there's some other ones I have by Gandhi. Of course, there's several quotes in the Bible by Christ himself that I love. Mm -hmm. One of the ones that are favorite for me, Romans 12, said, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Mm -hmm. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind to prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Mm -hmm. And so I know that quote verbatim because that's something I live by daily, having my mind transformed to show what the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God is, as opposed to being conformed to society, conformed to the norms, conformed to what's going on, depending on who's in the White House and, and who our senators are. I'm not trying to be a conformist, but be a transformer. So that's interesting because that word is a powerful word. And I remember when I was doing my ed leadership courses, they threw that word around a lot. Oh, and so transformational leadership, yeah. what does that mean to you? Transformation leadership, there's a dichotomy there because to be a transformational leader, you first have to be transformed. You have to be in a place 
Kind of like the animated movie, The Transformers, where they transform <laughs> from cars to robots, yes, and then robots back to cars. I have to be in a place where I can transform from going on all four wheels to standing up straight and operating like a human being and being able to transform into whatever you need to transform into in order to transform your culture of the school, your community, those that you are in charge of, the teachers, the students. So being a transformational leader looks at helping people make that mind shift and how they see things. I have to be able to assist someone in seeing something through a different set of lens so their perception is changing because if I can change your perception, then I can change your reality, and which means I can change your reaction or your response to what you're seeing and what you're dealing with. Mm-hmm. And so being a transformational leader means to me that I'm helping you renew your vision and your perspective on what you've been working with all this time so that now you can begin to handle it and deal with it in a different light for the greater good. And so as a transformational leader, think about being intentional and also listening, all the things that you were talking about hearing. Can you think of a time where you intended to change somebody's mind, but because you listened and heard some things, you were changed, you were transformed? What I'm alluding to is what I'm trying to do here with the master leadership. Okay. Like sometimes... You know, people don't understand what I'm doing, Uh, and it doesn't fit in a box. It's something different um, because it needs to be. What you're doing is actually opening a door for people to walk through. And some of those that are walking through this door are walking through to a greater place of liberty or a place of escape away from what they've been boxed into for so long. And they need to have this opportunity to have a voice to be heard because there's somebody that needs to hear them. And the only way they can hear them is through, again, through this um, vehicle of this podcast. And so when people hear the voice of others and some of the voiceless, Mm -hmm. not because they haven't been given the opportunity to have a voice or they may not feel like they have a voice, but the opportunity has to present itself to them yet. So there are so many voiceless out there that are waiting for you to come to them, to give them the mic. Actually, they're waiting for you. They hear me all the time. They're waiting for you. So, yes, I'm excited about that possibility. I'm excited about the opportunity and having a platform where we can do that. All right. So, Jeremiah, what type of leader are you inspired by and why? I'm inspired by a leader that has his or her hand on the pulse of those that they are leading. Mm. It's important that in order to lead, I have to be aware of the community of people that I'm leading. I have to be aware of them on a social-emotional level. I have to be aware of them on a psychological level. I have to be aware of them and their surroundings on a personal level. I have to be able to breathe the air that they're breathing in order to know how to actually lead them because Mm -hmm. if I can't come from them, then it's going to be challenging for me to lead them. And so whether it's a population of minority students or a population of majority Caucasian students, Asian students, it's more about understanding where they're coming from, their culture, their system, their ways. Because in leading, it's all about leading them somewhere. In leading, is all about taking them from point A to point B to a better place so that they can fulfill their purpose, their destiny. And the only way I can do that is by first going to where they are getting a sense of their environment, their dynamic, their culture, and then helping them transition from where they are to where they need to be. So there's a lot about moving or lifting your social-emotional 
skills, isn't it? Yes, because in my mind and how I've broken it down, we are spirits Mm -hmm. possessing a soul living in a body. So being spirits with a soul in a body, we have to be clear about those three segments and what we're dealing with. When I look at the soul or the suke, I'm looking at the part of the human being that consists of their mind, their will, and their emotions. Mm -hmm. And so when I look at the mind, when I look at the will of the person, and I look at the emotions of of us as human beings, there is an order there. Mm -hmm. The mind must lead the will, and the will must lead the emotions. Kind of like a train with the smokestack. Mm-hmm. And then you have the car in the middle where the passengers are. Mm-hmm. And then you have the car at the end, the caboose, where the luggage is, one of those old-fashioned trains. So the engine would be the mine where all the coal is going in, all the thinking is being done that's mm-hmm. pulling the train. And then you got the will of the individual where you have all the people sitting in the passenger car. And then you have the caboose, which would be the emotions that's carrying all the luggage. If the train, for some reason, got mixed up, and you put the emotions or the caboose in front of the mind, the train is not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. So there has to be an order to the soul, an order to how we are operating and dealing with everyday life situations. Yes, we get angry. Yes, we get sad. Yes, we get happy. Yes, we just want to do something sometimes. But there has to be an order and a system. Because if not, then if we put the cart before the horse, then we can get stuck somewhere. Mm-hmm. And many times in life, people are stuck because they've, run into situations in their homes, situations in their families where there's been a stoppage, Mm -hmm. where the emotions have been so overwhelming that they can't put things back in order. And so they're reacting angrily. They're reacting with drugs. They're reacting with not listening to their parents, talking about students. Mm -hmm. And so now we have a student that's troubled and can't even begin to look at the work because they're dealing with personal issues and home issues. So when I deal with helping and moving people in terms of leadership and helping them transition, I'm looking at the whole person. I just can't look at their mind. Like Aristotle said, the mm-hmm. mind without the heart. I have to look at their mind. Mm-hmm. I have to look at their heart. I have to look at the whole child. Mm-hmm. Because when I look at the whole child, then I can effectuate change. Right. And so as a leader, how important is it for us to really invest in our own social-emotional growth? Oh, that is very key. It's like me giving somebody water out of my water bottle Mm -hmm. and I don't have any more. I cannot give what I do not have. Mm -hmm. And it's not because I'm not able to have it. It's because I now have taken the time to refurbish or reaffirm those things that I have so I can give them out later. I'm a very strong advocate for exercise. We need to make sure that we are What? You have time to do exercise? To. Good. I have to because if I do not exercise my body, You're crazy, right, <laughs> uh, right, and it, you know, re- releasing the the lactate acids in my muscle, I have to do some aesthetics, do some cardiovascular. I have to walk. I mm-hmm. have to stretch in the morning. I, I do some things I just have to do. Right. So I exercise the body. I exercise the mind. I exercise my emotions. I have to take time for me. Because not to take time for me is, in my mind, a sin. Mm-hmm. I have to be able to meet my needs before I can meet somebody else's needs. Right. And with six daughters, you certainly have a lot of practice in, in yeah, growing yeah, emotionally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that's wonderful. So what's the best advice you've ever received? I receive advice all the time. 
And I receive it from some of the most unlikely places. It from the news, whether I'm listening to Tavis Smiley and he's doing an interview with someone, or whether I'm listening to a sermon on the radio, or I'm listening to a lecture by a professor at a university, or whether I'm even listening to my wife or my children. I'm getting advice all the time. Um, but one of the greatest pieces of advice that I can remember, and now I can't even remember who I got it from, mm -hmm. um, someone said to me, be yourself. Be yourself. And I take that to heart because if I cannot be me, then I'm living a lie. Mm -hmm. And if being me doesn't allow me to be the best me, well, that's where I have to start from. I have to start with being me and then look at, come to terms with what's not correct or right and then just build from there. Wonderful advice. No one can be you like you. Yes, yes. <laughs> That's great. Now, Jeremiah, what does it mean to have a good team and how do you build or sustain one? To have a good team means to have a very strong network of individuals who are willing unselfishly to support and carry on the vision of the leader. How do you build that? by first building relationships. Relationships are key. Any organization, group, family dynamic, you have to build relationships. So I have my four C's that I look at when I look at building relationships. Uh, the first C is communication. I cannot begin to know you unless I can hear you and hear who you are. I can see who you are. I can see what you're doing, but I need to hear your heart. And also, I need to be able to share mine. So communication is the first C. The second C is collaboration. By having strong communication, I can then begin to develop that relationship and collaborate and identify what your strengths are versus what's the strength for me, what your weaknesses are versus the weakness for me. And now we can collaborate and come together where you'll be doing this and I'll be doing that because that's the best way to fit. I'm not going to try to do something that you're really strong at, and you're not going to try to do something that I'm really strong at. Let's work as a team. Let's collaborate. And after we begin to collaborate, then we begin to build what the third C, which I call consistency. Because in my mind, consistency and continuity are kind of the same. You're able to repeat what works and what works well. And so when you build a continuity or consistency, and then you're repeating what happens, you begin to establish a reputation, and that reputation will carry you. If it's a good reputation. Right, good <laughs> reputation, right? <laughs> the fourth C, and sometimes I make it the third C, depending on the relationship that I'm building, is consciousness. Hmm. I have to be conscious and clear about where I am, where I'm going, why am I doing this, who am I working with, what is the purpose behind this? consciousness. you got to have a clear conscious and clear direction. It has to be a level of clarity, mm -hmm. clarity of thought. I'm Jamie Beckler, motivational speaker and certified John Maxwell leadership coach. In the same way that Lily is making a difference with the Master Leadership Podcast, I wrote a book entitled The Leadership Playbook, Become Your Team's Most Valuable Leader. It is packed full of insightful stories and practical tips for students. When we help develop today's students, we can also help influence the future. Please visit theleadershipplaybook.com to learn more about this impactful book. So when you're building a team and you have communication, collaboration, consistency, the consciousness, where does trust fit in here? 
Because I find that trust is really key in building mm-hmm. strong teams. Right. The trust is a very strong factor. As a matter of fact, without trust, there can be no relationship. Mm-hmm. If we have a relationship with someone and there is no trust, there is really no relationship. We are both living a lie mm-hmm. because we have to be able to know that when I walk away from this, you still have my best intentions. Mm-hmm. And if you have my best intentions at heart, then you, you're going to support the vision and the work that's going to be done. Yes, trust is very key. There are many marriages, there are many relationships in terms of professional relationships that have been broken because of lack of trust. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And so I know you've been leading for a few years. How would you build trust? Let's mm-hmm. say someone new is coming right. into the building and they're learning about leadership and right. they've been given this responsibility. What's a good way for them to start to build trust with a team? Let me back up a minute before I answer that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been in education now 24 years. Wow. How uh, old are you? <laughs> Wait. <laughs> an engineer before that okay don't answer that (laughs) you look great okay thank you thank you (laughs) yeah i started education in 94 and during that time from being a teacher to being an assistant principal to now being a principal the number one factor to build relationship and to build trust Mm -hmm. is the other t that's just as important as trust and it works hand in hand is transparency Mm. I have to allow you to see me Mm. for my good and Mm -hmm. for my bad. Because when I allow you to see me, then you allow me to see you. That's good. When I can be transparent, then you can see my good and my bad. You realize, oh, he's human. Oh, he's this. And he's vulnerable. He's vulnerable, right. And he's he's real. And that gives me a space where I can be authentic. When I do counseling, I counsel Couples, people, children, adults. What, what don't you do? Like <laughs> <laughs> in, in my counseling sessions, I make it a practice to show my wounds. Mm. When I can show someone my wounds, my battle scars, and I can talk about them and not be afraid to dis- expose mm-hmm. my wounds, my, my scars, then it takes down the wall that people have to be defensive because everybody wants to be seen in a good light. But when you are able to show someone your scars and they see you in a light that's not too favorable, they're like, wow, you know, they're more apt to open up and share and be more vulnerable for the greater good. Yeah, it certainly does inspire courage. So thank you so much for that. Jeremiah, can you tell us about a challenge that you've experienced and how it has shaped your life? Yes, I'm going to transition from one challenge to another because I believe they're somehow interrelated. Mm-hmm. My father left my mom and my siblings and I when I was the age of two. My brother may have been a, a baby and my two sisters were older. As I got older, I was informed that I really almost didn't exist because at times my dad was very abusive to my mom because of mm-hmm. his drinking. And at one point, my mom went down a flight of steps with me in her belly. Oh, wow. And so it's by the grace of God that I was able to still be alive and born and be here today. So with that as a backdrop and being raised as an African-American male in the South Bronx. For my hometown. I'm from yes. the South Bronx. Oh, all right. What part? Near 163rd. Eagle Avenue, 3rd Avenue, a couple of miles from Yankee Stadium. 
I was raised on 143rd and Willis Avenue. Oh, yes. My Haven Project. Yes, I knew where you were. So we ran the same circle. Yeah. (laughs) So going through that experience as a young male growing up and all the tragedy that goes with that of not having a male role model in the home, by the grace of God, I was able to make it to where I am today. Mm -hmm. Fast forward, being married for 15 years, and during that 15 years, having more trauma, I got divorced. And again, you know, it's not about pointing fingers, Mm -hmm. but understanding that at that time, we both were very young. Some decisions were made that were not favorable Mm -hmm. for either one of us, or for the marriage, or for the children. So from there, having that breakup Mm -hmm. and having my three daughters was a traumatic experience for them and also for me. Mm -hmm. Fast forward, meeting my current wife, and being married to her now for about eight years and her coming with three girls that's how we have the Brady Bunch now Mm. six girls we were able to build a strong foundation and family that we have currently today so those experiences having being a product of the divorced household and not having a father and then being in a divorce situation myself it was my goal to not have my children experience what I experienced in terms of the tragedy of not having a dad there Mm -hmm. so I worked double time making sure that they got counseling support I got counseling support to go through that traumatic experience so now that on the other side we're much better where we are Mm. so your focus on being a stable force in the family really came from that and also makes you a stronger principal here too because you're I imagine just being consistent and just knowing that your presence is important yes all of my battle scars all of my traumatic experiences that have affected me one way or another socially emotionally being able to come out of that and rebuild has given me the fortitude and the wherewithal to be conscious about other struggles Mm -hmm. and the reality of what they may be dealing with. I mean, we were a product of welfare. When you're a single parent with four children and you don't have the wherewithal or even the education to have the means, yeah, we were on public assistance growing up. You know, I can remember times opening the refrigerator and there was nothing in there. And I remember times when, you know, we had dinner, but it was what we could afford to have. Mm-hmm. And so now being where I am as a leader, as an educator, I'm just grateful to God for being able to see where I was and where I am now and knowing that if I could do it, everybody that I see in my school has the potential to do it because it's about being persistent, consistent, and having the right support around you to make it happen. Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Now, can you tell us about one of your greatest successes? My greatest successes are more geared around family Mm -hmm. and what I've been able to do with family. My successes would be, you know, everything from being the student speaker at my graduation from Teachers College Columbia University Mm -hmm. and being on the rostrum with these great professors and also these authors who came to speak or receiving my doctorate from Hofstra University Mm -hmm. last December. I mean, there's so many things that I've been blessed to have the opportunity to do. But for me, my great successes come from seeing my children walk across the stage and and, and receive their high school diplomas and then also to do well on an exam or to actually get a job and do well in the interview and talk about their success. And that's where my successes are in looking at my children, the children here in the school, and all the things they're able to accomplish in spite of. 
Mm-hmm. I have children in my school who are homeless, but they can still come in here and get an A. They can still come in here and paint or play music. They're just doing some fabulous things here at the school. And so that's where I count my greatest success is helping those children persevere in spite of their challenges. And watching them succeed is their greatest success. That's great. So what would you tell a new leader who's discouraged about their climate or culture? You make the difference. You've been given that seat in that position for a reason. And there's nothing that you cannot do. You just have to be able to identify your strength, identify your weaknesses, those things you still need to learn and develop, Mm -hmm. and be honest with yourself, and then begin to get the support and help that you need. But you can do whatever you put your mind to because you've been given that seat of authority, and you can do the job. Those words are really encouraging. But sometimes when you're in the battle, there's a quote, you can't see yourself if you're inside the picture, yes, right? Or yes. you can't see the picture if you're inside yes. of it. Something like that. Yes. But anyway, perspective, right? right? So in a situation where the culture is really tough, um, you're right. a new leader. You said get help. How do you get help? Again, it's going back to being honest, open, and candid, being transparent. You have to have a mentor. If you're a new assistant principal, if you're a new principal, if you're a new teacher, you have to have a mentor. You have to have someone that can walk you through that pathway that they've already gone through to show you the potholes, to show you the pathway, show you the direction you need to go. One, you got to have a mentor. Mm -hmm. Two, you have to learn how to be reflective, to stop, sit down, and reflect on your day. What went well? What didn't go well? Why didn't go well? What could you have done differently? What should you do going forward? You have to be able to pre-plan, to set in your mind what things I am going to do if this happens. What things will I say if this is brought to my attention? Mm-hmm. Getting a resource of help, a mentor, and reading material. You have mm-hmm. to read and brush up on your craft. Also, in terms of being reflective, having some time for yourself, and go through everything that you've dealt with for that day, that week. One of the things our superintendent, Dr. Hazelton, has us do, she has us submit weekly reports. Mm -hmm. These weekly reports are one of the times when I'm reflective over my week and what we've actually gone through and what we've actually done here in the school. So it helps me to look back and reflect. And with those weekly reports, it helps me better to look forward to the week coming so I know what I need to do and how I need to do it. Mm And listening to podcasts. Yes, yes. Did you say that? Did you say that? Yes. It's a strong, dynamic vehicle that requires one to hear Mm. because you're not seeing anything. Your favorite thing. Yes. Okay. So many leaders describe themselves as lifelong learners. Yes. What does that mean to you, and what are you learning now? What it means to me to be a lifelong learner is that I am open and willing at any time to gain from an experience that I'm in and see it as a life lesson. Whether I'm sitting here with you, I'm learning something. Whether I'm in the parking lot with the custodial staff, I'm learning something. Whether I'm in a classroom observing a teacher, I'm learning something. Everything for me is a lesson, and I need you to be able to extrapolate the essence of that lesson out and make good use of it. What am I learning now? I'm learning that I need to be attentive Uh, Not just to detail, but I'm learning that I need to be attentive to my voice because as I speak, I'm also hearing myself. Mm -hmm. And so I'm paying attention to the modulation in my voice. I'm paying attention to when something is really 
exciting for me and I perk up and then when something I'm really being reflective and then I get mellow again I'm learning that through my highs and lows of life they've given me different emotions and I respond to each of them differently and there's still a reality in my life it's okay for me to reflect and look back on them but I need to look back at them another way I look back at them as not something that brought me down, but something that allowed me to be better and stronger at who I am and what I am. That's interesting to me because I'm speaking all the time, right? And I'm not typically listening to my voice. I'm listening to you. (laughs) But why is that so important for you to listen to your voice? Are you learning to modulate? It's important for me to hear myself the same way it's important for someone that sings to hear themselves while they're singing, like some of the pop artists that have the air pieces in the air while they're singing on stage, or someone that has a speaker pointing to them mm-hmm. while they're speaking so you can hear what you're saying. Because I know that my voice is going out, and in order to ensure what mm. goes out is going out the way you the intend way it. I intend for Got it to go it. out, I have to constantly hear what's mm-hmm. coming out of me so I can make that adjustment to ensure that the intent of what I'm trying to say is heard. I've not done that before, but I'm going to see I'm listening to myself now. (laughs) So with the same intent, especially when you're delivering a message to, let's say, your staff, do you have someone in the audience who can give you feedback or is that a practice of yours to make sure that what you're saying landed the way you think it should have landed? Because sometimes, you know, we see things or hear things differently. Yeah, I get my feedback from my staff. I have set the dynamic within the climate of the building, within the culture of the school, that if you heard something and it did not set well, you can come to me and we can talk about it. Good. And then when I meet with my administrative team, my two assistant principals, the culture dynamic is set again where, okay, guys, it's time to debrief. What did you hear today? What did you see today? How did you feel about that? I like those questions. So what did you see today? What did you hear today? And what did you think about it? Right, right. Okay. So if there was something you can change in education in the U.S., what would that be? Wow, there's so much I would change. I had the benefit and the opportunity of going to a conference on Saturday. It was actually the Adelie L. Sanford Leadership Conference. And Adelie Sanford is a renowned educator that has been in education for 50, 60 years. Her last position, I believe, was for the Board of Regents for New York State. And on that panel, we had some other renowned speakers along with Adelie Sanford. We had Rudy Crew, who's currently the president of Mecca Evers College, which hosted the conference. Mm-hmm. We also had Jasmine Gripper, David Banks, who is the president of the organization Eagle Academy, where he started one school and now he has many other schools that are all boy academies. So I really got a chance to learn a lot from being at that conference. And one of the things that I heard there that echoed within me about education and some of the things we need to do to change it was looking at changing not just the structure of education, which includes everything from the time of day we go to school to actually having classes out of school, you know, while we stuck in these buildings, having, you know, classes outside the school to everything from schedules like every 45 minutes yeah yeah schedule and even the schedule of the year you know we're nine months what happens with those other three months so 
I would definitely change the schedule for education, which includes the number of months that we're in school is not enough, and also the, the number of hours in a day I don't think it's enough. Also, I would change the structure of school itself so that even when you're in school, it doesn't look like you're in school because the dynamic is different. You know, you're not coming to a building and sitting in a chair, the old factory system way where mm -hmm. everything's an assembly mm -hmm. line. No, it needs to be much different. Okay, wonderful. Now, what have you read that our listeners should read and why? Oh, wow. I am an avid reader. As a matter of fact, I'll preface that answer by giving you a statement. In elementary school, I had the knack of getting in trouble. Not having a dad around allowed me to express my frustrations that I did not understand mm -hmm. and take it out on my teachers in third, fourth, fifth grade. So, so there's a mischievous side to you. <laughs> yes. And so being troubled, not understanding why I was always getting in trouble, the teachers understood that if they just allowed Jeremiah to go to the library, he mm. calmed down. So the librarian became my best friend. So over the course of time, I just began to read and read and read and read to the point that in my 20s when I was living in New York City, I had a library card to a library in every borough because I just found the library to be a place of solace for me because of my experiences growing up and going to the library mm -hmm. to regroup. So you have a very curious mind, is that right? I don't know if it's curious or inquisitive. I just think that I love to learn. So I give you that story to let you know that one of the books that I read while being in the library as a fourth, fifth grader, and I don't remember the author, but it's called Death Be Not Proud. Oh, gosh, I remember that. And I saw the movie, and I, w I had a crush on Robbie <laughs> Benson. <laughs> wow, that took me back. Yeah, yeah. And so that is a book that I encourage everyone to read. As a matter of fact, one of my daughters is reading it now mm. because it kind of changed my life. Mm. To understand that a young man is on his deathbed, but it did not stop the genius that was in him from manifesting and doing everything he could do. Another book that I like and I pay close attention to, John Maxwell, The 21 Infutable Laws of Leadership. And then there's another one, Steve Covey, The, the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Well, the one that he has for teenagers. Mm -hmm. And also one of the books I also encourage everyone to read is um, the Book of Romans. Mm. That's one of my favorite books in the Bible. And it's also a book that would stimulate and challenge the intellect of individuals. I was told by one of my professors when I was at teacher college that they actually used that book of the Bible to practice law. Some of the law classes look at the book of Romans because it's one of the books in the Bible that actually compare and contrast and looks at the structure of the text and that helps them process how legal information should be processed. I, I don't remember all the details that she told me, but they, that's one of the books of the Bible they use mm. in, in law school. Well, thank you so much for that. Now, you have a lot of responsibility. Yes. So what do you do on a daily basis to set your mind for that? Okay, I'm being very candid and very honest. Okay, I set my mind starting the night before. When I come home, I de-stress. How do you do that? One of the things I do when I get home is that, you know, I go upstairs and into my little corner or place and just mm -hmm. exhale and I pray. I lay out, stretch out on my mat and, mm -hmm. and I relax and I pray. After that, I get up and I start my evening by finding out from my daughters, 
you know, my wife, how their day went, what was going on. And I try, again, pay close attention to detail to hear what's being said and hear what's not being said, just to, you know, be there for them. And then I go into eating, maybe watching something on TV. And then before I retire, I'm reading. I'm reading something on leadership. I'm reading something on education. I'm reading something pertaining to whether it's the APPR and observations. I'm reading something from educational leadership. I'm reading something online. I'm reading an article. I have to prepare my mind for the next day. Uh, As a matter of fact, right now, as a leadership body within the district, you know, there's a book we're reading now by Dr. Eric Jensen called Rich Mind, Poor Student. I'm not getting the title right, but that's a book we're reading now. We're doing a study on it. And there's some other books that we're also responsible for reading. So after I set my mind in terms of reading, then I get ready for bed, and then I'm listening to the scriptures. I actually have an audio that plays on my phone, of course, any book of the Bible that I want, and I just listen. And then I retire. When I get up in the morning, I begin my day by prayer. I try to pray between the hours of oblation, which are 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. Mm-hmm. So about 5.30, I'm praying. And then after I... So how many hours of sleep do you get, typically? I, I average anywhere from six and a half to seven and a half hours of sleep. So I try to make sure that I'm in the bed by 10 p.m. So when I get up at 5.30, then I'm in a place to be mm-hmm. conscious to do what I have to do. Mm-hmm. I know that more important then food is rest. Mm -hmm. So even if I can't eat, I have to be able to sleep. They did a study on this, that the mind of someone that didn't have enough rest is equivalent to the mind of someone that may have some type of mental dysfunction Mm -hmm. because the mind is not able to regroup and refresh itself and then become dysfunctional. Mm -hmm. So rest for me is very, very important. I cannot use coffee or caffeine or food as a vehicle to stimulate me Mm -hmm. because I'm shortchanging, I'm cheating myself. Right. And I appreciate that because I think this is an area where, as educators and as ed leaders, we put in long hours. Right. And so it's difficult to find some kind of balance. Balance. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, as it is, I'm not going to the gym as much as I would like, but I still make sure. Oh, today, you mean? No, no. I still try to make sure I'm exercising in the morning. You know, I have to, again, like I said, stretch and and just do some little calisthenics. But really, I get ready for my day the night before Mm -hmm. because how I sleep determines how I function the next day. Mm -hmm. And I have to make sure I'm sleeping a certain way. Okay. All right. Thank you so much for that great advice. Now, if you were to go back in time... What advice would you give the younger you about leadership? Wow, where can I start? The younger me would listen to a degree. Because, you know, at that age, I, you know, whether you're in your teens or your 20s, you always think you know best and mm-hmm. you can do better. But I think the advice that I would give the younger me, knowing the younger me, mm-hmm. I wouldn't start off by telling me what... That don't work. Right, right. <laughs> I would start off by asking me, questions Hmm. I would ask myself where are you right now so like a coach you would coach yourself yeah like what's on your mind what are you thinking Mm -hmm. you're here physically but where are you Mm -hmm. what's troubling you right now and so I would question myself and begin to get myself to open up and be kind of conscious about who I am where I am 
doing that thinking about your thinking, that metacognition, mm -hmm. because when you do that, then answers more readily come out and then you can begin to get that person to move in the direction they need to move because now they're being conscious mm -hmm. and that information is coming from them. Beautiful. I like that, especially in coaching. You know, one of the things that we talk a lot about is coaching and how yeah. it's really essential. Every leader needs to have a coach. In fact, yes. if you don't know yes. how to coach, you really don't know how to lead. And right. if that's where you're at, yeah. then just yeah. understand that we need to learn to coach. And asking yeah. those questions are really key. Yeah. Now, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners that we haven't addressed? In terms of master leadership, and taking this journey towards a greater significance as we master leadership together. One of the things I want to make mention of is that you have to be willing to make the sacrifice. Without sacrifice, there cannot be any leadership. We are just fooling ourselves if we're not able to make the sacrifice for the greater good, for the student, for the staff member. That sacrifice covers everything from money out of your pocket time mm -hmm. out of your day and a listening ear for an extra 20, 30 minutes, being everything from a coach to a counselor to a therapist for the staff that is working under you. You have to be in a place to sacrifice mm -hmm. and understand that that little bit extra that you're able to give to someone makes all the difference in the world for them and will allow them to not just feel better or get to a better place, but it will allow them to understand and support you better because you've just supported them. So leadership isn't about people serving you, but about you serving people. Yes. Love that. Yeah. Okay, yeah. well, speaking of that, I really want to thank you for pouring into us. I know we're probably cutting into your <laughs> workout schedule. That's quite all right. And it's been such a pleasure getting to know you and I love all the advice that you've given us. So thank you so much for pouring into me and into our listeners. You're welcome. And I thank you for this opportunity. I really do hope this helps someone because um, what you're doing is fabulous. And you're giving people a voice. Okay. Whether they're voices or not, you're giving them a voice. Thank you. You're welcome. And I'm going back to the office to do some work. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hello leaders, in closing, here's a quick message. Coaching is the art of influence that underpins leadership in the 21st century. It is the very thing that can get you from being stuck to being extraordinary. So go to masterleadership.org and sign up to get a free coaching session. Until next time, continue to ignite that leader in you.